Big news coming out ahead of the Cricket World Cup qualifier plus action in the Nordic region of Europe and the Southern Africa Cup. That's all coming up on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. A warm welcome in again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Glad to see my two favourite podcast hosts with me both this week, uh, live and direct. Tim here smiling in Vanuatu, Nick uh, probably about to fall asleep in Iceland. Uh, How are we boys? I'll start in the uh, warmer part of the world and it feels weird saying that but it's probably Iceland at the moment, Nick, given that you guys are about to go into summer. How's things over there? (laughs) Uh, not not compared to uh, Vanuatu. I, I think Tim's no. still got us beaten on that count. Uh, t-shirt <laughs> weather all year round over there. But uh, yes, it's yeah, it's quite interesting. I'm I'm sitting inside with my blinds down and it's still very bright. I can basically go outside and, and walk around and, you know, the streetlights don't even turn on until I think like 1am at the moment. So uh, yeah, very interesting time to be around. Oh, that's going to take a little while to get used to. The circadian rhythm of uh, of Nick's body will be uh, struggling, I'm sure. Uh, it was a facetious comment, but I will throw over to the man in the tropics, Tim Cutler. Tim, how are you? Well, I was, I was going to say, it's starting to get a bit cool here. I think it got down to 21 overnight. Oh, and uh, sure. I think I... I was a record high in Reykjavik. Almost needed to... Uh, fold my doona cover that has no doona in it it's just a cover almost i had to fold it in half this morning put it over me in double layer that's how cold it is and I had to turn the, the ceiling fan off so oh. uh, but yes uh, no no issues with insomnia here through the through lights um good movie that nick you should go watch that robin williams one of his serious roles but uh yeah, the days are getting a little bit shorter here, but uh, yes, being the tropics, not too much of a change, but the weather's been a little bit dodgy of late, a bit too much rain around, not great considering we're in the middle of cricket season, but just do the best we can. I was going to say, uh, Tim, how's the domestic season going? I've seen uh, a couple of posts up about the, the local comp running after the uh, Indigenous series. Yeah, we're trying to get a men's T20 event in at the moment i think we've just been fighting weather as is always a challenge here and i think that's one of those things on our priority list about indoor training facilities or at least a roof over nets and things like that but yes we'll hopefully have that done in the next couple of weeks just before the under 19 men run off to darwin for their qualifier and then be able to get some women's cricket as well leading into their qualifier later this year so yeah just trying to fit a lot in there's a lot of activity around the islands as well but uh, sort of developmental leagues and women's island cricket which is getting bigger and bigger especially on Tanner. yeah it's it's be a pretty big summer of well i say summer it's summer all year round but a summer of international cricket in the in the tropics <laughs> with both men's and women's t20 world cup qualifiers coming up and that under 19 cricket world cup qualifier coming up uh, on the men's side as well Having New Zealand in that group is uh, ultimately going to be very difficult in terms of qualification in that region. New Zealand sat out the last under-19 Men's World Cup due to COVID, which meant that they've gone back into the qualification pathway. Any sort of early thoughts about how you boys will, will shape up in that tournament in Darwin? Yeah, look, it's going to be tough coming up against a New Zealand team that has players in it that have first-class experience or at least within first-class squads. So... I don't think it's a matter of anyone convincing themselves that New Zealand aren't going to be the team to beat and most likely to go through. But like a lot of these events, it's going to be great experience for 
all the teams, and especially since it's in the 50-over format still, um, which I think we've actually got a couple of players, young Roderick Lekai, uh, who toured with the senior team to Fiji back in March, and Curran Kendrick uh, as well, who are both, I'd say, kind of traditional batters, and the 50-over format will really give them a chance to to spread their wings somewhat. So, no, it's going to be exciting to see. I'll be up there with Ronald Tari, who's coaching, and Jamal Vera will also be there. So it'll be good to watch the next generation of, of male cricket, cricketers coming through. As if Jamal Vera doesn't have enough roles in Cricket Vanuatu <laughs> already. There, there's another one for him. Oh, exactly. How about him in that video telling us how he gets up at 5 o'clock in the morning and comes to work? I've never seen a more desperate plea for a pay rise in my life. <laughs> We'll give uh, we'll give Jamal Vera the next week to respond to that. Let's jump into some uh, news going on in the emerging world. We do have some action on the field, actually not too far away from where you are, Nick, in the uh, Nordic region. But we'll mm. start with uh, some action off it with uh, the Cricket World Cup qualifier groups and format finally released. A lot of the details were leaked uh, in the build up to this, but we do have confirmation as well as some news regarding uh, some other things surrounding the competition, DRS as well. We'll talk about that in a moment. Ten teams split into two groups of five. The top three of each group will move to the Super Sixes and play teams uh, from the other group advancing to the Super Sixes uh, with points against other advancing teams in their own group carrying over to the Super Sixes. Group A of the tournament, West Indies, Zimbabwe, Netherlands, Nepal and USA, the uh, arguably stronger of the two groups. Group B, Sri Lanka, Ireland, Scotland, Oman, UAE. Uh, we've seen a number of the squads start to filter through as well as a provisional camp on the Nepali side. Some news regarding DRS that will be available to be used from the Super 6 stage onwards. We'll talk about that in a moment. But early thoughts on the two groups. Tim, looking at, at this, and we'll talk about some of the squads that have been announced. We know that the Netherlands and Scotland have had some difficulties in terms of mandatory release or a lack thereof what were your early kind of impressions looking at those two groups it it seems to be a a pretty open tournament I think six or seven teams could almost make a case for progressing and and uh, West Indies and Sri Lanka probably the two most fancied sides uh, from the outside I suppose the emerging world on paper I think you're going to have it quite difficult given that not only is Zimbabwe hosts and could easily push West Indies in that group, but also the the uh, emerging teams starting to come through and, and really make this format their own through a lot of uh, League Two play. Well, yeah, you set up with uh, Zimbabwe as host again. <laughs> we have seen them in front of home fans both uh, excite and also capitulate. So I think the big question will be which Zimbabwe turns up. And within that group as well, as you mentioned, with West Indies, you've got Nepal who are on a high. I think you can probably the highest high they've ever been in their their male cricketing history for the number of games they're able to win. And this is probably the perfect time for them to come into that, depending whether they have that full squad available for reasons we're all aware of. And also, yeah, the Dutch, as you mentioned, um, shell-like Dutch side missing all of their county players bar one and must be noted that it's the one player that plays <laughs> at Durham Bastelader and under Ryan Campbell and considering that Ryan is however many games under 10 into his county coaching career to be giving up one of his charges uh, is a credit to him and also shows that he's put his money where his mouth is to say that he would uh, continue supporting Dutch cricket after he left because yeah. it would be very easy to go into a job like that in a full member country and say, oh, yeah, but, and then uh, Baz continues in the north. But 
Yeah, and then in that group as well, there's the the US and it's a, another country that you think, well, come out of a, a strong qualifier that uh, kept them up there, but uh, will the real USA turn up? And especially in Zimbabwean conditions, I guess we've only seen them recently in uh, World Cup qualifiers down there. But uh, And the other one, again, Oman... We expected a lot more from in the recent past after their strong showing in League Two, and we haven't exactly seen that. And you've got the the spectre of Sri Lanka coming out of a a pretty strong international period. That you, you I don't know. Do, do we do we just peg them at the top? Do we just say that we we will predict Sri Lanka to come top of that group? Or I I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hard to argue that. Can't can't say the same about the West Indies though. So I mean that that's where it opens up in the other group. No, absolutely. I didn't even mention them because I guess it's the same again. That you think they were only a, a whisker away from not making the last World Cup, and you never know. We may have been seeing a fourteen-team World Cup this time around if they hadn't. Even the fact that we're going to be seeing DRS in the Super Six games only and not in the group matches is. Uh, I have to say it's a plus. I think there's been a few people saying, oh, no, but it's got to be one in, all in. But look, if they only have it in the, the Super 6, it's a, it's a step forward. And I think that says that the, uh, the ICC has definitely listened to criticism about the, the last event. And we can only hope that we don't get in a situation like we did in the last qualifier where we had ODI matches played between full members at the time not be broadcast at all and that we get uh, full broadcast across all venues, which I'm hoping, Daniel, you have some insight on. But considering where we're at now with Pathway events being streamed with six cameras and commentary, I'd like to think we're going to get the same for this. But, uh, yeah, interesting one with uh, Group B, as you mentioned, with Ireland being in there as well. The disappearance of uh, of Simi Singh for someone that we saw was uh, kicking goals both with, uh, with bat and ball not to be in the team for the last little while. And... Uh, and again, UAE, what are, what are we going to see? Um, <laughs> it, it, it is, I guess it's always been the story of associate cricket, hasn't it? The team that's got the momentum and has a bit of cohesion around them. And, and we've seen them come stronger after a change of coach, but will it be strong enough to get? I think the biggest thing is to get through to that Super 6 and carry some points through. Although <laughs> we saw Afghanistan last time carry zero points through and uh, yes. and end up making the World Cup. So look at, yes, it's, it's only a 10-team event leading into a 10-team World Cup, but uh, it does prove to be exciting. And you look, go through all the, the groups and I think we are seeing the, the cream of the crop at the moment when it comes to associate cricket no one you don't feel that there there are going to be any passengers or any easy games there yeah it's interesting you say that you know the cream of the crop wouldn't it be nice if the netherlands and scotland could play their full strength teams and really test out the sort of established full members you know scotland have beaten sri lanka in 50 over cricket in the past and the netherlands i think i said it last week but in in the qualifier in 2018 they were well ahead of on DLS the, with a big partnership between Baresi and Tendiskata. And uh, of course, you know, then they had a, a very typical Netherlands middle order collapse and, and ended up losing that game against the West Indies. But, you know, the, these teams can compete. So it is a great shame for the quality of the event. And yes, this is something we talk about a lot, but, you know, it's just not good enough to have a World Cup qualifier where... You know, Scotland's missing, I think, three players and the Netherlands, you know, anywhere up to maybe sort of five or six first choice players are missing from that squad in terms of like basically their whole fast bowling outfit. Las Rula Fandemover, who who just adds a lot, you know, down the order with the bat and also with his 
uh, with his left arm spin. So just getting that out of the way, um, yeah, it's it's a big shame that we can't see the best teams at their full strength. Um, but yes, I, I think I tend to agree with you uh, in terms of Sri Lanka being the favourites there, especially over in Group B where, you know, Scotland missing a couple of players, uh, Ireland, yeah, they've, they've been okay recently. But I mean, Simi Singh... I believe he has an injury, a thumb injury, so that probably uh, is is part of it. But uh, yeah, and then Oman and the UAE is, is kind of interesting. Uh, you know, the UAE on an upswing and Oman, as we've said, just looking a bit tired. You've got down the average age is 32. Bez, that's, that's a good bit of maths work there. But yeah, I mean, Sri Lanka, I think, will have an easier time of it than the West Indies. Yeah, that, that Group A... Any of those teams really could could make it through. Um, I, I mean, I, I would tend to think Zimbabwe at home. You know, looking at their results against the Pakistan A team that's touring at the moment, they've won three of the four one-day matches played so far, and uh, the the loss they they had was a very close game as well. So they've been in pretty good form. Uh, Craig Irvine hit a big ton. Uh, Joy Lord Gumby, who <laughs> has one of the best names in cricket. Uh, hit a ton as well, um, you know, so they're coming good at the right time, you know, just before the tournament. So, yeah, I think Zimbabwe are looking even stronger this time than they were last time. Uh, things are a little more settled uh, in Zimbabwe. Last time, yeah, there were some, some pretty notable uh, issues going on off the field, and it seems like they've more or less ironed out a lot of those problems in the intervening years. So, Honestly, I think Zimbabwe are probably the second favourite behind Sri Lanka. You know, home field advantage, good form coming into it, pretty settled team with a lot of uh, a lot of star players. So, yeah, Sri Lanka and Zimbabwe would be the, the two if I had to make a guess. But uh, yeah, as you say, very open, um, and and just a shame that we don't get to see the the best players on the park. Yeah, and if you missed last week, we we talked at length about. Uh, the Scotland squad that had already come in as well as the West Indies squad. So if you want sort of news on on those teams, make sure to go back. But we'll reaffirm that, yeah, the West Indies should mount a, a challenge that will put them towards the top two, but I don't think anything is, is confirmed there. I think Sri Lanka out of the two, hand on heart, have by far a, a, a better chance and a more gelled unit to ensure that they qualify. Uh, a couple of other things I think to, to bring up and, yeah, Tim, you teased it a little bit in your first comment uh, in regards to the streams and the broadcasts. It's understood that the non-televised games will be streamed by ICC TV. The only other point to add to that is that this tournament actually is not included in the, the tender agreement um, with the Pathway events. It's understood that ICC TV will be broadcasting the non-televised games, although don't think that's actually set in stone only because this tournament actually falls outside the tender agreement. Um, but I do know that the team at ICC are endeavouring to have those broadcasts on ICC TV. Another point I want to make is that uh, there was a little bit of discontent from Nepali fan circles, and we saw this on Emerging Cricket this week, uh, in regards to how the warm-up fixtures have been put together. Nepal haven't been given a full member to play against in the warm-ups. Uh, and a lot of Nepali fans out there were irritated by that, thinking it would have been good preparation for, for them to play a test team. I'm not 100% sure what the rationale is in regards to how those warm-up matches are decided, although Burtis as well made the point that the top four seeds at the tournament seem to kind of get first dibs there. I'm not 100% sure how it worked, but it also is worth noting that 
Nepal don't have to travel to Bulawayo uh, for the warm-up matches and they get to stay in Harare for the warm-ups. And I think their entire group uh, is in Harare as well. So, I mean, there is an advantage of not having to spend an extra travel day as well. So, swings and roundabouts and, and all of that. And yeah, like looking at the at the island squad, Tim, you made the point of, of Simi Singh uh, not being in. We, yeah, we have heard murmurs that there's a a fractured thumb that Simi Singh has suffered. Although, you know, the time frame for that injury would mean that he'd probably be okay uh, timeline-wise for this tournament coming up. It just seems to be like he's been a little bit frozen out by the national setup uh, since Heinrich Milan's come in. Um, he hasn't received as much game time as he did before. And this is a guy that made a, a century in Super League cricket at number eight. I think he was the first... Or the high, he's got the highest score by a number eight batter in, in ODI history. Just seemingly left in, in the cold. And there's been a couple of other sort of movements in and out of the island team as well. Stephen Donnie's has been left out. Uh, PJ Moore's been selected, although there's talk that he'll play in the middle order. Uh, Munster have basically instructed or have been instructed to play PJ Moore in the middle order. Of course, an ex uh, Zimbabwe international, so there's a storyline there. Murray Commons was in form in Irish domestic cricket, but it looks to have been sort of too little too late. Ben White, Gareth Delaney, the reserve spin options behind McBride, Andy McBride and George Dockrell, who uh, both of those players give you a little bit more with the bat now too. And uh, Barry McCarthy is, is back from a back injury. So they're close to full strength. Uh, I think now the question is in regards to, say, the Dutch squad again to, to bring the point back up. And again, Bertus made a really good Twitter uh, thread on in regards to all of this too. So, look again, some more promotion for Bertus Young coming from you know a very good place. But looking at the way that the counties hold all the aces here, and I know we talked about this last week in in regards to Scotland, the Netherlands have won or have competed at a high level with a number of these men out in the past. We saw in Super League they did hold themselves to a decent account, albeit losing 3-0, I think, to the West Indies and, and struggling elsewhere. But the silver lining is that there is a lot of international experience in this squad, even without the county players. But to bring it back to, to mandatory release, this is, I, I suppose, just another consequence of the eminence of international cricket struggling in the face of both franchise and domestic cricket, whether we like it or not. This seems to be the future of the dystopian cricket world that we're going to live in, Nick. And it's been a problem for Dutch and Scot Scottish cricketers now for, for a little while yet, but it serves a, a decent warning, I think, for other international teams, you know, in, in the future, having to come to terms with the situation that these teams have been in for a couple of years now. Yeah, and uh, to that point, you know, as, as Berta says in that thread that you mentioned, it, it's undermining the international product and this is the ICC's product and, and this is, you know, this is theoretically what the national board's product is, i.e. international cricket. You know, fr franchise stuff, the franchise owners have way more of a stake in it than the national governing body because the national governing body, as we've discussed in the past, they, they don't really add anything except a rubber stamp. Whereas in, in terms of international cricket, you know, that's where the, the national board is actually you know, producing players and running pathway events, etc. 
they have an actual stake in the format and yet somehow we've reached a situation where you know this has been going on for a long time with counties but it's starting to come to a head with with various franchise leagues uh, and i guess that's getting a lot more attention in the <laughs> the full member world but yeah it it undermines the product it means that we won't see the best players on the field um i mean speaking of undermining the product you know, the fact that we're going to have these, you know, very important games sort of shoved off to a stream. I mean, at least we'll be able to see them rather than <laughs> rather than having to rely on the, the players' wives to, to film them. Uh, yeah, sh- shout out to Myrna Kramer for that one. But, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, maybe there's some, some internal politics there with uh, Takashinga getting some matches and, and um, you know, various influential people in, involved in Takashinga. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that that's also unfortunate but you know if, you, if you're trying to sell an event and are the ICC even trying to sell this event or do they just view it as a burden that's that's another question but you know if you're trying to sell an event you're trying to sell a sporting product the first thing you want is all the best players to be available and it's just ridiculous to me that you can have a world cup qualifier where multiple teams are at you know basically half strength that's that should be completely unacceptable yeah it's a it's a tough one to to swallow that you, you look at it as exactly as you, you've said and you think if you want this product the best you can. And I don't like talking about the uh, the pot of money at the end of the rainbow as as what it is, but considering the money that is now more or less guaranteed to be coming for the next however many years, next four years with the media rights deal, you think, well, how can we try and make sure that we're getting the best teams here and establish you know, a high-performance strategy that's going to be unveiled hopefully at or before the ICC conference in in July and that will be helping countries from 106 up um, improve their high performance programs but how do we make sure that this is the best product possible because everybody's talking about how susceptible and, and how at risk international cricket is well this is the time when you could have actually helped and whether it's a financial factor with clubs having to be reimbursed or compensated for not having these players or, or, or some other matter it's, we're not talking about sheep stations here whatsoever and, and as you say two of the teams and one that really should have made the world cup last time if not for you know <laughs> i don't want to talk about a single decision over and over again but that decision isn't made you know scotland win and and we see them in the world cup and now we're not going to see the strongest scottish or, or dutch side so yeah i don't have much more to add to it only that i would have liked to have thought that this had been discussed previously because you, we're never going to see in england or in australia go to a world event a global event uh, with their weaker side but well, with a weaker side because their players have been cup-tied or, or tied to uh, franchise contracts. Tournament Cricket World Cup qualifier begins on June 18 uh, across Harare and Bulawayo in Zimbabwe. And as mentioned, two teams will emerge victorious and as qualifiers for the 10-team World Cup in October uh, of this year in India. Uh, the tournament goes to 14 teams in the next cycle in Africa in, in 2027, yet to... St- sort of understand what the qualifying portion of that tournament will look like. We do know that League 2 will most likely be an eight-team competition with the Netherlands coming down into League 2 and uh, the pathway going through that way and teams going as automatic qualifiers through uh, rankings uh, with the scrapping of the Super League for for those above League 2. I think it's going to be an interesting cycle, that one, because... Again, with this dilution of, of the product of international cricket and the difficulties of potentially putting on international fixtures, um, I don't think we truly know what, even with the Future Tours program, 
what it's going to look like moving forward. So uh, we've got, yeah, this qualifier coming up, 10 teams. It's it's probably one of the, the best competitions that the ICC has uh, in its calendar, and, and we're certainly looking forward to it. And there's plenty of coverage of the tournament already uh, on EmergingCricket.com from the format, if you need to go back and check that to some of the team news that's slowly filtering through. Uh, let's go Nordic now, uh, not quite to Iceland, but to Denmark and the Nordic T20 that has concluded there. Not a whole lot of actual international cricket on the field this week to talk about, but with the start of the uh, Nordic summer kicking off, it's given us uh, a couple of good talking points in the form of this four-team tournament, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, and Finland. It was won in a double round robin by Denmark, though there is a couple of points to bring up and, and maybe an asterisk or two in that they played an A-team in their final two matches that weren't considered T20 internationals. They did manage to win those matches anyway. The points table across, say, Wikipedia and Crickinfo doesn't count those, but uh, even irrespective of, of that, they did go on to win the, the A matches as well and, and coasted to victory on home soil. But Quite a lot of success and a lot of news to take out of this. Parity, again, the key word here. Every team winning at least two matches, uh, including Sweden and Finland. We knew Norway were probably going to be the team to mount a serious challenge uh, against the Danes, but it was Sweden, Nick, that beat Denmark by 10 wickets in an upset of sorts to, I suppose, get our attention uh, talking about this tournament. And then Finland actually beating uh, Sweden in a in a super over on the last day of the tournament as well. Uh, they also beat Sweden by seven runs early in the tournament as well. So uh, plenty of, of good competition here. And, and as a point that I suppose that we mention on a lot of these shows is that Tournaments like this where we get geographical neighbours uh, to play a lot of cricket has ultimately bloomed some pretty competitive tournaments and some competitive teams. We talk about the Gulf region, we talk about parts of Asia and ultimately you know, East Africa and the way that they go about things a lot of the time. Uh, this is just another, I, I suppose, result of, of that. And we've got some uh, good competition in this part of the world. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a pretty exciting little tournament. Um, good as you say, parity, uh, everyone's beating everyone. Uh, new look, Swedish team, very interesting to see uh, uh, eight guys making their debut against uh, Norway in that in that um, first match for Sweden. Um, so, yeah, I guess they've uh, they've they've had a lot of turnover there. Um, and then, of course, that that team comes around and, and beats Denmark comprehensively in you know ten wickets, five overs to spare. So, uh, seems to be working for them. Um, yeah, the, I I feel like the Danish cricket authorities could have explained the tournament format a little bit better because, as you say, the A-team games don't count as T20 internationals, uh, but they do count for the points table, um, and that, that's kind of a bit confusing on, on the, you know, you're looking at the schedule on, on their app, um, and, and then, you know, you, you're suddenly seeing Norway A versus Denmark A, and you're thinking, well, is this part of the tournament, or is this a separate series that they're running. So yeah, it's it's communication could have been improved, but um yeah, interesting to see obviously uh you know some some pretty familiar names as well as the new ones. Uh Nikolai Damgaard hit a, a pretty spectacular sort of 60 off 30 and, and grabbed a wicket in that first match against Norway. Um Seema Saud Munir for Denmark nominated uh, for Associate Player of the Month. Uh, he grabbed a hat-trick and, and Denmark's first T20i five-wicket haul also against Norway. Um Ahmed Shah, interesting to see him get four wickets. 
his bowling's uh you know kind of handy but um ne- I would never sort of classify him in the the devastating uh category but uh apparently uh he's he's been working on his bowling there against Finland you know 4 for 19 to help bowl them out for 92 um yeah so very enjoyable to to see this many uh, matches being played in a pretty short amount of time well organized good good to see the neighbors playing each other i think the only thing to sort of I guess highlight would be yeah the the communication there, and and maybe just the fact that the these tournaments sort of pop up and there's there's very little uh, promotion for them really, uh, you know you see a couple of Twitter posts and, and they play them and then that's it and it, it's it's difficult to you know build a, a lot of interest you know whereas imagine if this was a, a soccer tournament or even a handball tournament, you know <laughs> these teams would be going crazy so I, I think. They could do a lot more to kind of capitalize on these regional rivalries. And this goes for a lot of the regional stuff is uh, I know it's difficult to, uh, you know, to break through, but, you know, trying to trying to sort of take advantage of the fact that you're playing Sweden and Denmark, which is one of the, uh, you know, one of the sporting world's pretty uh, spicy rivalries. So, uh, yeah, I, I think they could have done a bit more on that front. But, uh, yeah, good, good to see this being played and always nice to get more matches, more matches happening. Denmark are going to feature at the regional final of the T20 World Cup qualifier uh, in Europe in in July, and this, you know ultimately you would think this is good prep for them. But I mean, in saying that, it, it seems as if there's there's enough competition in in the region again for you know other teams in in future cycles to to mount a case against the Danish. We saw Austria in the sub regional last year. To take a lot of us by surprise and uh, and also qualify for that regional final, so I think we are seeing that the fruits of labour in the European region, and we know that you know guys at, at European cricket are doing a lot here in in this space, not only with the the satellite T twenty T ten series that go on in in European cricket and and the European Cricket League. Weird looking from the outside, maybe you know to to ask you, Tim, but. As someone who who's running a, a national governing body of cricket, you organising, say, the Indigenous Series and, and the Pacific Challenge Cup and other tournaments like that, what's the difficulties of, of putting on tournaments that don't necessarily fit the, the pathway frameworks, you know, in order to, to ensure that you guys are getting enough competition on the field? To, to look to, say, to Europe, you know, what are some of the challenges that some of those governing bodies would face in actually putting up tournaments like this and ensuring that there's enough international play across the calendar uh, it's cost over benefit is the uh, is what your considerations are for all of these things and uh, in when we look at Europe and and beyond when you can get in a bus and travel for uh, up to single digit hours and, and travel across um, double digit countries it's uh, going to be a lot easier to put on events like this than it would be in somewhere like Pacific Islands and et cetera, anywhere sort of South America where you're dealing with much higher costs to, to get around and also much higher costs to, to run things in general. So you always need to make sure that your players are getting that opportunity to, to get better and just playing against against each other locally is not going to get anyone moving forward. And that's why things like the Indigenous Tour is so important that for our teams anyway, coming up against probably some of the best cricketers 
they will have ever played against. Uh, and in home conditions, yes, but to be playing a, a, against a different brand of cricket that they've probably ever seen. So, yeah, from a governing body point of view, it's it's about prioritising across everything that you're doing. You're not just a high-performance outfit. You're also trying to grow the game and run facilities, etc. It's just trying to find the money when you can and find support and do the best you can. And that's where things like... The Pacific Island Cricket Challenge were was great in the sense of how much cricket we got in a short time frame. What wasn't great is that countries like PNG and Vanuatu paid between fifty and ninety thousand dollars for flights to get there. Um, and whilst everything was covered once we landed, um, you know the hosts ended up paying almost almost nothing. So there's always conversations to be had about how these events can be held, and so there's a lot more egalitarian perspective and perhaps sharing costs. And I think that's somewhere we're probably getting with when we look at the Pacific Cup coming up, and I think there'll be announcements about that from 2024 and beyond with a, a certain full member partner as part of this will make things easier but uh, yeah it's always an, an ongoing struggle of a setting your budget uh, on funding that you think you're getting from the ICC into the future and also from other other sources but also prioritizing development against high performance and various other um, responsibilities that uh, any governing body has. Well moving to a region where there has been plenty of praise by how they do organize themselves the ACA uh, Africa T20 Cup qualification the ball will start rolling uh, on the 27th of May in the Southern African Cup, a five-team tournament with Botswana, Eswatini, Malawi, Mauritius, and Mozambique. The top three teams from this tournament will advance to the 2023 ACA Africa T20 Cup. That tournament will be played later in the year. It's part of a slightly i don't want to say confusing but a slightly complicated qualification process here there's a northern african cup too where three teams come from that as well and then there's an east africa cup which on paper you look at um that's to be played out in july it looks a lot tougher with kenya rwanda tanzania and uganda but only two teams from that tournament advancing to the aca africa t20 cup but we will start with the southern african cup uh it's a good opportunity to to see I suppose some newer faces. I think we have seen these teams play in sub-regional qualifiers in times gone past, although it's been quite difficult. I think there's only been one cycle where their matches have been streamed uh, per se, but we do get Maloki Moketsi, who has probably the best bowling action in world cricket <laughs> yes. with his uh, predatory left arm orthodox, I think we'll call it. <laughs> uh, if you guys can remember where he kind of like walks in and, and stalks his prey before before bowling so if this tournament is streamed look out for that but I think Botswana would probably count themselves as the red hot favorites this tournament is being played in South Africa so uh, some good facilities at uh, the Willowmore Park uh, facility in Benoni they hosted a lot of the under 19 women's T20 World Cup earlier in the year as well so proven there but by uh, the 1st of June we'll have uh, the three teams qualifying there, Nick, uh, just eyeballing it. It's a uh, pretty open field, I think, outside of Botswana for, for teams potentially progressing there. Uh, but a good opportunity for all these teams to, yeah, to make a, a bit of a name of themselves in, in this region, which is uh, ever growing in, in, in this level of the game and maybe a good chance for some new heroes to stand up. Yeah, I mean, I think Mozambique would fancy themselves uh, to, to come in number two or even potentially pull up an upset. They've been sort of there or thereabouts, uh, kind of in, in that sort of second tier of associates in the region. Whereas, yes, Botswana, definitely the favourites. 
Iswatini, or formerly known as Swaziland, they have struggled a lot, uh, even even at sort of sub-regional level. So, um, you know, hopefully they can put in a good performance. But yeah, Mauritius and Malawi, I think that, you know, they've, they've got a, that, that'll be sort of the battle for, for third uh, is going to be interesting there. But yeah, you mentioned the structure. It is a bit strange because we've got these five teams and three of them go through and then you look across to the Northern uh, Africa Cup, which is sort of more of a, a West Africa with teams like, you know, Nigeria and, and Ghana and so on. Um, and yeah, the top three from there go through. But then you look to the East Africa, which is Kenya, Rwanda, Tanzania and Uganda. I mean, you could make the case that all four of those are stronger than any of the teams in the Southern Africa and probably most of the teams in the Northern Africa. And only two are going through from that re- sub-regional or whatever you want to call it. So yeah, I'm not quite sure how they've gone about the division of the teams and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, looking aside from the administrative framework here, I think it's it's a great initiative. And, you know, the first edition of this, which was played out last year, was sort of a long delayed thing that changed format a number of times. Uh, and, you know, COVID got in the way. And I think it was originally meant to be played, I want to say 2019, uh, you know, a while ago. Uh, and, and then it finally got on the field uh, September last year and uh, with a very exciting final. Uh, Rizad Ali Shah hit an, a huge number of sixes uh, in that chase towards the end to get Uganda over the line against uh, against Tanzania. Um, I think they needed sort of 50 runs off three overs or something ridiculous, you know, in the back end of the chase. Um, so, I mean, I can see it being another exciting event once we do find all our finalists. But yeah, I mean, it, it's always good to see this sort of cricket happening. And I think Africa, as you allude to, is a region with a, a lot of um, a lot of growth and, and it's, it's very dynamic. You know, we see these teams basically improving in real time and that's just because they play each other a lot. And, uh, you know, hats off to the um, the, the boards involved and, and the ACA for organising this. Um, I, I guess they're sort of taking inspiration from the uh, the ACC, the Asian Cricket Council's uh, pathway events and the Asia Cup and whatnot. Uh, it would be great if they could get an Africa Cup going. You know, uh, teams like South Africa, obviously, and Zimbabwe are notable emissions, but even Namibia uh, don't seem to be involved in this setup, which is a bit of a shame because, you know, you want the best teams to be involved. and if if they can build a market for this, you know, obviously it'll never earn as much money as India versus Pakistan in the Asia Cup. But the, the ideal sort of uh, long-term goal here would be to get South Africa involved, get Zimbabwe, get Namibia, have the best teams playing and, and try and make a bit of money to reinvest into the African game. Because, uh, you know, it's one of those regions where there's a lot going on and, and th- there's a lot of exciting teams coming through that you look sort of five, ten years down the line, if the ICC were smart, they'd be they'd be pumping money into this region because the money goes a lot further and, you know, there is there is a lot of genuine interest in cricket here that uh, can be harnessed and, and nurtured. So, yeah, I, I think African region... And sort of to make the point on the women's side as well, a lot of these teams are also playing very well in women's cricket and even... You know, it's sort of like some of the teams are better in women's and some of the teams are better in men's and across the two formats, you know, between the men's and women's teams, you know, for example, Rwanda's women are probably better than their men at the moment. You'd think, you know, between the men and the women across everywhere in Africa, you've got a lot of the continent covered. And, you know, this is this is where you should be building a market for for your product to, to link back to what we were talking before, you know, international cricket and, and competition between international teams. 
No, it's a good point uh, relating it to the to the ACC, and maybe the ACA have that opportunity, as you've highlighted. Some of these countries have, have better women's teams, and whether they could looking at a side by side event, which may actually get involvement from full members, perhaps on the women's side more than the men's. You might have more of a chance of getting Zimbabwe women or the or the South African women involved, which could in turn look to to build the the value from a broadcasting, but also from a, a competitive point of view. As as well, you know, I'm just sort of thinking in my head, like, what would the best format be if we're just looking from a men's point of view? If you had South Africa and Zimbabwe and, and Namibia, how many, how many teams and how many how many groups would you have it to to maximise the exposure here? But it is it's great to see that many countries playing, and for me to see Mauritius playing there, I travelled there in 2015, not long after taking over in Hong Kong, and they were looking at uh, at growing cricket there and perhaps um, reinvigorating the Sixers concept. They've got an amazing facility with three grounds um, all side by side with uh, a lot of money invested in that. So I hope that cricket has grown since then. You just hover over them on Wikipedia and it still describes cricket and Mauritius as a sporadic affair. And I'm hoping that's changed to see the fact that they'll have a national team. And the other point too is that yeah, looking at uh, Mozambique as an example of this, I think they were the surprise packet of the sub-regional last year. I think they only lost to uh, the two teams that went through, Tanzania and Nigeria in that qualifier. You know, a, a nation with, with Portuguese roots seemingly really buying into the, the concept of, of a game that's been historically very English. Uh, and a number of of guys who were actually probably made a, a case of being... I think actually they might have had Jose Bolelli win player of the tournament of that sub-regional qualifier. So there is individual talent and, and proven there. And, and even moving away to other parts of, of the African region, you know, the Francophonic region of Africa, we've seen the likes of, of Mali and other countries in, in Northern Africa really buy into the concept of cricket. And we know Rwanda is a great example of, of what cricket can be to a to a, a country looking to sort of get back on its feet as well. So there's some pretty powerful things going on in Africa. And, you know, if this ACA tournament is just a, another reflection of that, then, yeah, Nick, as you say, in, in five to 10 years' time, you know, who knows what african cricket could be you know assuming that yeah again in the hope that that international cricket has a a roughly similar framework at least or hopefully better in some sort of you know utopian world uh as it as it is now because you know it would it it would be fantastic to see the game blossom in in this region um and again it's just another consequence of, of having these competitions played out uh so often year upon year yeah, just to wrap up, the Southern African Cup begins on the 27th of May. Uh, a round-robin format between five teams, Botswana, Eswatini, Malawi, Mauritius and Mozambique. And the top three teams in that will progress to the ACA T20 competition, as well as three qualifiers from the Northern African Cup, which begins this time next month, the 24th of June. And two progressing teams from the East Africa Cup, uh, Kenya, Rwanda, Tanzania and Uganda playing in that tournament in July. Looking forward to all of that. Uh, And to quickly wrap up a point made from uh, last week's show, the Women's T20 East Asia Cup begins uh, this weekend, or actually on on Thursday uh, in China, the Pingfeng Campus Cricket Ground in Hangzhou, China, Hong Kong, and Japan playing in that tournament. And we'll look into all of that as it unfolds in the next three days. And we'll talk about it all next week. I think the final's on the 28th of May. So look forward to that. That's everything in the Emerging Game this week. For more, log on to emergingcricket.com. Thanks for joining 
me, fellas, for another EC pod. Glad to see a Tim Cutler record. We haven't had that in a in a little while. And uh, Nick, always a pleasure to, to talk to you about emerging cricket as well. I'm grateful and happy to be part of it and for you to work around my schedule and for Nick to be sitting there after midnights with Brooklyn asleep in the room next next to him with him kind of yelling into the microphone and <laughs> at, at midnight. Yeah, the making of the sausage on the Emerging Cricket podcast, some uh, exclusive content for those who have hung around the best part of an hour listening to us talk. But thank you once again, everyone, for jumping in. Enjoy the rest of your week in the Emerging Cricket world, and we'll speak to you next week.